0: Irish Cream Cold Brew with Cold Foam now at Tim Hortons, or try Cold Foam on any of your Tim Hortons favorites. Modifications extra for a limited time at participating U.S. locations.
1: At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
0: It's the big $10 sale, so mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And welcome back to the XO and I am Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxoneradiotv.com on all social media sites, Radio TV. And to find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. And we're coming to you around the world tonight on the Talkstar Radio Network Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio. Exon Broadcast Network and on Simul Radio. And to find out about the Exone TV channel on Simul Radio TV, simply go to www.simultv.com. Exonation, Nation, my guest this hour, is Nomar Slavik. He is a professionally published author living in Bangor, Maine. His first book, UFOs Over Maine, was released in 2014 through Schiffer Publishing, His latest book, Otherworldly Encounters, was released in July of this year through Llewellyn Worldwide Publishing. He wrote and produced the documentary, Abducted New England, which will be featured on VIDI Space this year. Slavic meets with eyewitnesses, travels to anomalous sites, and conducts investigations. His investigations include The Mothman of Knox County and Loring Air Force Base. Joining me now from Bangor, Maine, a city I am well acquainted with, he is Slevic, uh, is no more Slevic and no more. Welcome to the X Zone.
1: Thanks so much for having me on, Rob. It's it great. is uh, certainly an honor. Thank you.
0: Well, it's great having you with us, my friend. Uh, I, I'm very well familiar with Bangor, Maine, because for many years when we would drive from Montreal down to St. John, New Brunswick, we would go, we would take the, uh, what's it called, the Skyway? And, yeah. Yeah, and we'd stop in Bangor, Maine, and that's where our lunch stop was. So I love uh, Bangor, Maine. That's awesome. Hey listen, why did you write Otherworldly Encounters?
1: well that's a, that's a good question hmm. uh, I'm fascinated by all things paranormal yeah and New England in general has a long history of hauntings Sasquatch and other cryptids such as the Dover Demon uh, there's even been dogman sightings I actually spoke to a dogman witness about two months ago from Maine. Uh, and obviously tons of extraterrestrial encounters so I love my home state and I figured if all of this is getting reported in my own backyard what better place to start and then stay in for for a little while, you know?
0: Now, what, where does your interest in the paranormal come from?
1: Well, I think that can be traced back to the catalyst of it all. Uh, we're talking 35, 36 years ago, so mm-hmm. I think that's like 82, 83. I was four or five years old, and I had a sighting in Fort Kent. And Fort Kent, I'm sure, as you know, is at the tip of Maine. You yep. can literally throw a rock and hit Canada. And I was sound asleep one night. A loud clap of thunder woke me up, and I could start hearing the tapping of rain hitting my Mm -hmm. windows, and then I saw a flash of light. So I was like, ooh, a thunder and lightning storm. So I I kneeled up on my bed, and I watched the storm, and after a moment or so, I saw this thick lightning bolt penetrate a cloud. I know that sounds weird, but if I were to ask you to draw a lightning bolt, you'd probably draw this thick, jagged yellow line, or maybe think, think of the charging indicator on your smartphone. Yep. And and even at that age, I knew that you could only see lightning for like a very little amount of time, but it stayed there, hovered there, if Mm. you will. I kept hearing booms. There were these electrical arcs coming off of it, and I eventually drifted back off to sleep. I then woke up in the morning, went to the bathroom. When I was walking back to my room, I could see out my bedroom windows and the lightning bolt was still there I ran downstairs I got my dad I brought him up to my room to show him and it was gone I tried explaining what I saw uh, but he was kind of like yeah 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 Uh, as if to say you know like "Eh, what are you talking about buddy
0: Uh, overactive imagination of a young man
1: right right exactly Uh, but I think I must have been pretty insistent because he did tell me that it did not rain the night before Hmm. so after hearing that I actually got pretty scared because I didn't know what the hell it was (laughs) So, about two weeks later, uh, my mom and dad dragged me and my sister out of bed Mm -hmm. to witness the Northern Lights. And that was another. You know, phenomenon that I'm I'm viewing in the sky at such a young a young age, and it's the only time I've ever seen it, and it was gorgeous and strange, and I think those two things taught me at a young age that the world is friggin' mysterious and weird and fascinating. But I was kind of hooked, but still scared. So I think that's the catalyst, and I also think it was the first time I ever saw a UFO.
0: Since having that first encounter when you were a young man, have you had any uh, UFO sightings since then?
1: Yeah, I've had about 10 other sightings in my lifetime. I don't know if seeing, you know, two weird sky anomalies at mm-hmm. such a young age uh, uh, subconsciously allows me to to look up more than most. Um, but I definitely see some weird stuff. So I've seen I, I tell people I've seen 11 UFOs in my lifetime. My UFOs are in fact real and I can prove it. Proving it. Is simply by saying what I've seen are unidentified flying objects does not mean they're extraterrestrial you know in the 50s and 60s and like Mm -hmm. solidified in the 70s UFOs become synonymous with extraterrestrial and it's typically not the case Um, out of the uh, 11 sightings there's probably two where I'm still really left scratching my head I'm like oh I don't know what it is you know Uh, the other stuff could have been something else I just haven't been able to identify them you know
0: why do you think society, the, the majority of society, always associates a UFO with extraterrestrial visitation?
1: I would probably say pulp culture. You know, I'm no mm-hmm. expert on any of this stuff, but uh, probably pulp culture has, has helped with that. I mean, look at all the, the, the sci-fi movies from the 50s, 60s, and obviously the 70s, where Spielberg kind of hit it out of the park with uh, Close Encounters, mm-hmm. and then you kind of get into my demographic when E.T. came out, and and it's become an accepted form. You see something weird in the sky that's yep. flying? Well, it's probably E.T.
0: Yeah, and E.T. made it sociable, socially, socially acceptable to give some the finger as well (laughs) true um those two ufo sightings that you yourself have had that keep you scratching your head wondering what it was can you explain them to us or tell us about them
1: yeah yeah uh one of them happened in 2007 Mm -hmm. and it was closer to southern maine the freeport area home of l.o mean for any of your listeners that are familiar yeah and um it was actually kind of interesting the way it happened my roommate at the time uh, and still is to this day is a skeptic mm-hmm. so they came they came home one evening and like ran up the stairs and like slammed the door and came inside and we're like, yo there's something like weird outside you got to go check it out I'm, I'm sure it's right up your alley you know something like that so I'm like what so I ran outside and hovering over the house that's across the street so it's probably a little you know like 150 yards away from me. Mm -hmm. Uh, hovering over the house were these two red lights on one side and then up higher in the middle was a white light they weren't blinking it was completely silent and it was hovering so I stared at it for a while when I extended my arm out the it took the entire length of my thumb to cover the object so that said to me that it was high and large or pretty low And, um, I had a Nokia phone at the time, you know, 2007, I don't even know if there were smartphones then, maybe, uh, but I didn't have one anyway. So I had a Nokia phone, took a picture of it. And all you can see is really just like a red streak with some black behind it. So Mm -hmm. that wasn't much help, but I'm staring at the thing. And I would say probably after like three, four, maybe five minutes, it then diagonally moves up. So it ascends a little bit and then hovers again, just for a moment. And then it takes off. On like a level trajectory parallel to route one in Freeport so at that point I like fumbled for my keys I'm like I'm gonna follow this thing so as soon as I hit the road I lost sight of it I'm mad at myself for, for taking my eyes off of it but less than half a mile up the road is uh, a field with a clearing you know a clear view of the sky so I pulled in there and was ready to you know have a close encounter and uh, it never showed up um, but the reason it, it seems you know I still scratch my head mm-hmm. on it is it seemed large it seemed close enough that I would have heard it nothing was blinking on it like you would come to associate with some sort of uh, a military or civilian type of aircraft sure and uh, and at the time drones at least the way we know them commercially now were not commercially viable really at the time doesn't mean it couldn't have been some other experimental drone you know, but uh, but that that one keeps me scratching my head because of that, you know.
0: All right. We're going to come back uh, from a commercial break uh, shortly. And when we do, I'd like to hear about the second encounter that you have that still has you scratching your head. The next donation, I guess, this hour is Nomar Slavik. And you can find out more about Nomar on his uh, Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Nomar Slavik author. And that's N-O-M-A-R-S-L-E-V-I-K-A-U-T-H-O-R. This is the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, X-Zone at x com, and on all social media sites, X-Zone Radio TV. The X-Zone, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And we come to you Monday through Friday from midnight until 5 a.m. Eastern, Right here on the Exome Broadcast Network and our broadcast affiliates and partners around the world. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. So, uh Nomar Slavik is our special guest, and we're talking about n- uh, about Nomar's uh, new book entitled "Otherworldly Encounters." And for more information about Nomar, visit his Facebook page forward slash Nomar Slavic author. And his new book is published by our good friends at Llewellyn Publishing Worldwide. All right. So the first encounter, I can understand why you were scratching your head. That would get me to scratch my head as well. <laughs> What was the second one?
1: Well, the second one was actually just last year, and it was at Loring Air Force Base up in northern Maine. Mm-hmm. And uh, there had been uh, 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 some pretty significant encounters there Uh, one involving some beans from the mid 60s and then over the course of three days in 1975 there were also some encounters so I decided for research with the book that I was going to go up there and and just you know go on site overnight Mm -hmm. and uh, see if I could see anything so in uh, April of last year i drove up to to northern maine it's about three hours maybe three and a half hours from bangor and uh when i got up to to that area i stopped in at the local pd just to let them know what i'm doing i want to keep everything mm-hmm. above board and they're like all right weirdo <laughs> like go do your thing it's all good
0: uh
1: they couldn't care less uh, they just wanted me to be careful so anyways I get on base during the day, I'm kind of, you know, I want to get my bearings, and mm-hmm. and the place is massive. I mean, this is an abandoned Air Force base, or a closed Air Force base.
0: Wasn't that and, where the where the, one of the strike forces of the B-52s were stationed?
1: Absolutely yeah. it was. And... Um, <clears throat> This base was opened in 1947, so that's an interesting year. Mm-hmm. And then it closed in 1994. So what's left? Like, there's some businesses on the peripheral of the base. You know, there's a call center, a museum, some stores, some things like that. But the 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 crux of the actual base is just all left to to really rot. So it's, it's it would be the perfect setting for The Walking Dead. There's weeds growing up in the roadways. <laughs> there's a housing area that's like fallen apart. There are these massive hangars bleeding rust. And there's got to be 50 hangars, maybe wow. something like that. And it's just huge, and you can have the run of the place. Uh, the, there's two miles of runway. Uh, so I ended up going a little over 100 miles an hour in my car down the runway just because you can, you know, like I had to do it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I took tons of pictures and all that good stuff. But then went back to the hotel, took a nap, and I was coming back at night, you know, to see if I could observe anything. So my first stop when I got on base. I'm sorry. That's all right. My first stop when I got on base was uh, to go to the runway area. That's where some significant uh, sightings occurred. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to go there myself. Uh, It was drizzling that night. So there was some cloud cover. Uh, But other than that, I had an unobstructed view of the night sky. So I just kind of parked in the middle of the runways, shut everything off. Uh, It's probably 11, 1130 at night, something like that and I'm just waiting and watching and waiting and watching about an hour and a half or so goes by the the, the rain hitting the windows like it's starting to sound like white noise I'm getting a headache <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I and nothing's happening so I start the car and get out and at the time I was smoking I've since quit so thank you very much uh, that's been a struggle but anyway I uh, step out to have a cigarette and uh, as I'm smoking it sounds like I hear somebody walking up the runway and I'm like, what? And it was weird though. They take a few steps and then stop. And I was like, that's weird. So I walked to the front of the car to see if I could, I mean, you know, towards where I was hearing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just straining to see and I'm straining to hear if that's even a thing. <laughs> and I'm just listening and I can hear, you know, a few steps and then nothing, a few steps and then nothing. And I'm like, what is that? And then I realize it's my intermittent windshield wipers. Oh, well, there you on. go. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh my goodness, I'm uh, my 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 imagination's getting the better of me. So I decide to move. I go to a different area, mm-hmm. and it's where the radar tower is. So now I'm parked in the parking lot of the radar tower. And again, you know, I'm looking at the sky and all that good stuff. And uh, I've shut the lights off, but I haven't shut the car off. Like I had just arrived. And so I'm looking to my left. I look to my right. I look to my left again. And as I'm coming back, looking to my right, boom, there's a light in the sky right above me. I'm like, whoa, like what? And, and I'm just human in that moment, Rob, you know, like I have this gear next to me, night vision cameras, you know, some other stuff. And I'm just, I'm not thinking about any of it. I'm just like, uh, looking at this light in the sky. I mean, that's all it is, but giving the stories of the area and what I'm there for and to actually see it, I'm like, oh my God. Wow. So well,
0: plus I, the fact I, it was raining, plus the fact that you're right at the radar station, the history sure. of Loring air force base. Wow. Yeah, I've got goosebumps listening.
1: <laughs> so uh, I look down and I'm holding my cell phone. And I'm like, whoa, in a huff. I like get the camera going mm-hmm. and I start recording it. And I record, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds of this light in the sky. As I'm recording it, I get the dumb idea that I want to drive closer to it. So I move the car about five feet and there's this, the, the light does this weird flickering type of thing and then it like blinks out. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, but I caught all of that on camera and it's on my YouTube channel. You can do a search for uh, no more Slevic or no more Slevic to Loring UFO, something like that, if you want to see it. But to see it on its own, it's just a light in the sky that disappears, you know, that I mean, it could be anything. And really, it could be. So what I saw was a UFO at Loring Air Force Base, quite literally a UFO. But again, you put the history together, just all those things you were saying, what I just said, mm-hmm. you put it all together. And it's this puzzle and it's not the whole picture, but you have a lot of pieces where you can kind of see maybe what it's going to be. And that one is one that's keeping me, you know, scratching my head still, you know, and, and I like to, you know, meet with witnesses and tell these stories in, in these books and the documentary to like, here's what I found of the puzzle. What do you think it looks like? You know, sure. uh, I'm not, I'm not here to, to claim to be an expert. I'm not here to say extraterrestrials are real. I'm just saying weird things happen. People are seeing it, and I want to document it for historical record, and I want uh, as many people to check it out that are interested. You know, I I think it's important information. How many UFO hotspots would you say there are in the Northeast? Oh, boy. Uh, pro- uh, there's maybe four I can think of off the top of my head. But, you know, what really is a hot spot? Is it because there was a flap there? Or are there all these weird, you know, under the full paranormal mm-hmm. umbrella things happening, you know? And uh, there are a few places like that in the Northeast. Of course, there's the Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, there's a place in the book that I coined the term uh, the Somerset Triangle. It's not really a triangle. It's like 200 square mile area. And it's uh, kind of Western Maine a little bit uh, but it's this area where there's been uh, potentially up to 800 or a thousand reports there and I say potentially because um, uh, when I've talked to Mufon, when I've talked to Peter Davenport at uh, New Fork uh, we've all surmised that for every UFO that does go reported mm-hmm. to one of these organizations there's probably 10 or 20 or even more that go unreported so to 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 know that there's like 400 to 600 UFOs reported in that 200 square mile area, you're probably looking at maybe 800, 1,000, 1,200 uh, that have occurred in that area, you know, and 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 that's it's a weird spot. It's a weird spot. So how many would you guesstimate are
0: are seen over the period of a year in that spot?
1: Oh my goodness! Over the course of a year, given the uh, the the estimation of mm-hmm. the non-reported, I mean thousands, thousands. Um, Uh, people see UFOs all the time now what happens especially when you go through these MUFON reports or you're reading some of these little quips in newspapers or radio stations their online presence has really beefed up and uh, they have like little news plugs as well Mm -hmm. and a lot of these stories are people seeing lights in the sky and the radio station or the newspaper is reporting it as like a UFO slash extraterrestrial encounter, but when you really are are, are reading hundreds of these, thousands of these, right. you're like, okay, they 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 most likely misidentified something. Uh, obviously, that's not the case in every case, but but more often than not, people are misidentifying things. It could have been a drone. It could have been a planet. It could have been a helicopter. I don't know if you've ever seen a helicopter flying directly towards you uh, in the sky when it has its nose light on but it looks like a wobbling hovering ufo until it finally banks or something you know right um so you never know what you're seeing out there uh are they ufos absolutely are they extraterrestrial probably not
0: how many witnesses did you speak to about their experiences while researching your book other worldly encounters
1: uh quite a few quite a few uh to put a number on it i don't know uh A hundred, maybe something like that. But um, that's in all courses of communication. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's Facebook messages, that's emails, uh, that's in person, that's phone calls. And one thing at the very least about Mainers, I don't mean to speak for everybody (laughs) here in Maine. uh, And I'm not speaking for everybody in Maine. However, we are generalized as like reserved People a reserved population. We, you know, we don't want people thinking we're lunatics over seeing something crazy. You know, so people are reluctant to share their stories. So what I want to offer them is a, a, a non-judgmental ear. I'm an open-minded skeptic. I'm gonna ask questions like are you sure it couldn't have been blah 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 and uh, more often than not they're like yeah you're right it could have been that i didn't even think of that you know so it's not necessarily case closed mm-hmm. but i might move on from that story you know and, and and not write about it you know
0: yeah i i fully understand and, and i agree with you that a, a large number of the ufos that people put in the same category as et um are later identified they really have nothing to do with the with the space traveling UFOs. sure. but I, I think the media has certainly played into that scenario along with Hollywood.
1: Absolutely. you know especially since December of 2017 when all that stuff came out yeah. about uh, you know the, the aerial threat program that the government had and, and, and uh, you know more people than ever are talking about
0: it. You know? All right, Nomar, please stand by you and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, Nomar Slavic is our special guest of this hour. His Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash uh, Nomar Slavic author. That's Nomar Slavic author. We'll both be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast centre in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Slavik is our guest he is the author of other worldly encounters on Facebook no more no more Slavic author that's no more Slavik author um, I understand that you have a theory or a hypothesis on the creation of crop circles
1: well, I don't know if it's really a theory. You know, you have thoughts, and thoughts, mm-hmm. thoughts are just what they are. You know, uh, but I certainly think that it's possible that uh, that extraterrestrials are involved with with making them. I, I don't. I definitely do not think that all crop circles are man-made. I think that's ridiculous. Um, I definitely think a lot of them are, though. Uh, but that, I mean, that's really all it is, though. It's it's nothing earth-shaking at all. <laughs> well, you never know unless you ask, right? That's
0: true. Okay, uh, in your book, Other Worldly Encounters, you covered UFOs. What else did you cover in your book?
1: Uh, a bunch of different things. But yeah, uh, there's a story of a Mothman-like sighting that happened in Camden, Maine. Mm-hmm. And Camden, Maine is a small little coastal town uh in in eastern maine and in 2001 october of 2001 there was a gentleman who saw something pretty weird over there and uh I, i don't know if you're anything like me but uh i'm a huge Like fanboy of like all things paranormal (laughs) you know Uh, I I watch a lot of television shows that are like a guilty pleasure Uh, I'm a huge fan of horror movies you know the more supernatural the better and I'm also a big fan of Mothman so while I was writing the book I was thinking man I wonder if there's ever been a Mothman sighting in Mm -hmm. Maine no one's ever come to me so I just googled Mothman Maine and to see if anything came up and something came up I was like what and all i kept seeing was this headline uh, mothman-like creatures spotted in camden maine and I, I kept seeing that but i there was never anything linked to like a full story of it so I have a fellow author and friend and researcher her name's Michelle Soulier and she was actually able to track down a name for me. So I looked the guy up on Facebook and after like numerous attempts with people with the same name which was a bit awkward sometimes um I fa- <clears throat> found the guy excuse me and he was willing to talk about the encounter. So this happened again in 2001 Almost 35 years to the month of the of the original Mothman sightings in Point Pleasant. So I thought that was fairly uh, synchronistic, you know, and uh, the witness does prefer to remain anonymous. I wrote that in the book. So I I gave him an alias of Robert Osborne and he was 17 at the time and he was walking home early one evening. It was probably 6 p.m. or so. And he was walking on Washington Street towards his apartment building and Washington Street starts right at downtown Camden, Maine, and it goes all the way and uh, for miles into the town of Hope, Maine, and he lived just about a mile uh, from downtown, Maine, uh, downtown Camden, so as he's walking he's hearing like this chirping squeaking type of sound and he thinks it's a mouse but it's kind of loud so he it must really be underfoot and he's looking down not wanting to step on it while he's looking down he sees this shadow a large shadow on the pavement go by and he knows that it's something above him so he immediately looks up and when he looks up he sees this odd humanoid looking thing with a huge wingspan fly over him and it's making that sound He said the body was about four, four and a half feet long with these large bat-like translucent wings. Uh, He said it flew right up over the apartment building that his parents lived in. And as it did it, he said uh, he he got a good measurement of the, the wingspan because it said it went from one side of the eaves to the other side of the eaves of the building. And when I was down there and checking it out, that measures about 25 feet in length. So you're talking like Cessna type size yeah. wings, man. You know, that's huge. So he said it, you know, flew off into this marshy area behind the building. The marshy area is like less than a quarter mile behind the building. And he talked to his friends and family about it. And it's not like they didn't believe him, but they're like, you probably saw something else, man. Like, you know, and, you know, like a turkey vulture sandhill crane or something, both of which can be found in the area. But he was like, no, 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 no. this is this was weirder than that. He knew the difference yeah so after this he started having these reoccurring dreams and he said that he would find himself at that same spot on washington street and when he would look up this time he would see a ufo as large as a house and that it would roar to life and 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 take off so you know being a researcher i'm like oh okay well was that a dream or Mm -hmm. could it have been a memory and he's like that's funny that you asked that I tell people what it was a dream, you know, that goes back to the reservation of Mainers maybe, but I, I, I tell people that it's a dream, but I really think it was a memory. Well, now you, you, have got some more uh, 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 synchronistic aspects with the original Mothman sighting where you're having some concurrent themes there. Mothman, you know, a weird creature being sighted along with the UFOs. So kind of interesting, you know,
0: do you think there is a natural connection between these flying Unknowns that seem to have some sort of uh, life form of its own to the connection of a UFO sighting.
1: I don't know how specific it gets mm-hmm. but I think there's some sort of connection maybe under this whole umbrella of the paranormal you know sasquatch dogmen uh, you know even over demons some specific cases ufo's hauntings that maybe it's all interconnected somehow or you know I, I don't know how I don't even right. have theories on how but but there 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 seems to be more and more cases popping up where there's there's multiple genres if you will of the paranormal happening at the same time almost a convergence if you will you know and uh, stan gordon's done a ton of that work in the chestnut hill area in pennsylvania where there's there's been a lot of ufo activity and sasquatch sightings things like that so i personally think there's some sort of connection but i haven't really developed any theories I, i'm just too busy collecting the stories and, sure. and trying trying to make sense of them at the time you know what i mean
0: but... now the state of vena has a lot of wooded areas um have you had any experiences, or have you done
1: any investigations into the Bigfoot phenomenon? I haven't, but there's kind of a reason for that. Uh, Lauren Coleman, you know, a uh, cryptozoologist, sure. uh, lives in my home state, and um, uh, we know each other. We're friendly. I wouldn't say, you know, I don't know him as if he's my best friend or anything, mm-hmm. uh, but he and this other woman I was telling you about, Michelle Soye, a f- couple of years ago, they decided... To start putting together uh, Sasquatch stories from Maine to put out a book for, you know, Bigfoot in Maine. And so any time I came across an encounter, even if a witness emailed me directly, I would point them uh, to, to those guys, to Lauren and Michelle, so they could document and interview them for their own research, you know. Um, so I haven't delved into it just because I'm, I'm trying to, to to help a fellow researcher, you know.
0: Not to mention the fact that you're a nice guy. <laughs>
1: Sure, we can go with that, too. Okay.
0: (laughs) The check's in the mail, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, during your investigation into your book, Otherworldly Encounters, did you find any hard evidence pertaining to any aspect of the paranormal? For example, did you find any evidence to prove
1: that monsters actually do exist? Any proof? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, And I know that might sound disappointing but honestly it's it's uh, it's encouraging and the reason it's encouraging is because any witness I talk to any Mm -hmm. story that I read anything that I sink my teeth into research wise what ends up ultimately happening if if I don't dismiss it to begin with what ends up happening what always ends up happening is I have more questions than answers so no I don't have proof but I keep finding this this trail all these breadcrumbs or maybe more accurately that puzzle I was talking to you about and and there's a piece here and there's a piece there and again I I can almost make out what it is you know Uh, I I can almost see what it is but boy boy I there are some key pieces that I need that I don't have yet and I wish I did uh, to to, to make it more complete I mean I've talked to witnesses Mm -hmm. who claim to have seen alien beings or to have seen a dogman or to have seen this or that but as far as proof goes, there's there's been nothing that I could call proof of any kind. You know, I'm taking the word of the people. But and... how do we explain that in today's society
0: with so much technology at our disposal that you know, just take that, that area that you were talking about before where there are thousands of, of sightings yeah. over a year and yet with all those sightings, where is the where is the photo that cannot be debunked? or or the radar trackings or you know with with an amount of sightings that number how come it's not being covered in the mainstream news like something's going on and i don't know if it's the people who are not seeing or the media who is just so tired about it they don't want to report it anymore
1: well, I, I think the media is still reporting on it, but it's 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 still a bit of the fluff story, you mm-hmm. know, during October, you know, things like that. Sure. Uh, but there are other news agencies. You know, Larry King always took it seriously and would have James Fox on and a bunch of these other guys on, you know, to seriously talk about the UFO phenomenon. Not to mention, you know, Elizondo has been all over the news everywhere, and everybody wants to talk to him. And there have been great pictures and great videos and radar trackings and all this stuff. But anytime. Uh, you show that to a skeptic they don't believe it that could be anything that could be this that could be that but However, there, there's
0: more to life in, than than skepticism and there are more than skeptics who the people show these these photos absolutely. to and and yet i've been doing this show for 29 years and over the last 29 years nothing has changed when it comes to ufology absolutely nothing
1: you're absolutely right. Um, I have seen some pretty amazing pictures. There's, um, I provide uh, information in my book on how to Google image search mm-hmm. some of these pictures that I don't have permission to print in the book. And uh, you can see some pretty cool pictures. But can you look at it and say that's an extraterrestrial craft? Uh, no. that's yeah, That's
0: where the difference is. By you and I have to take our final break and exonation. No, Nomar Slavic and I will return on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. And welcome back, one and all. This is The Exon. I am Rob O'Connell. My guest this hour is Nomar Slevic. We're talking to Nomar about his new book, Otherworldly Encounters, that is published by our good friends at Llewellyn Worldwide. Now, if you'd like more information uh, on Nomar, or maybe you have a story that you would like to relate to him, whether you live in the beautiful state of Maine or not, visit him on Facebook at Nomar Slevic Author. First of all, Nomar, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great pleasure talking to you you know you know congratulations on on a book well done you're one of the very few authors that i've had on the show who actually goes out there and does the research
1: that sounds crazy to me but <laughs> thank you <laughs> um in
0: your opinion based on all the research that you've done your own experiences why don't you why is it only certain people can experience A paranormal sighting of of a monster or a UFO or a Bigfoot and yet the person standing right beside them or the people standing right beside them can't see it any ideas or theories on that
1: really not really I mean anything in all Mm -hmm. of this stuff is just theory and I don't believe that there's really any experts in the field. I do feel as though some researchers can be expert on cases because yeah. uh, they've decided to hold on to a case, you know, their whole life. And that's been their life's work. And, and that's great and everything. And so you're an expert on Roswell or, or whatever. Uh, and, so, you know, I would say Stan mm-hmm. Gordon's an expert of the Chestnut Hill uh, or the Chestnut Ridge area. Um but when it comes to stuff like this, asking my opinion, that's all it is. It's opinion, theory, and why someone sees something and someone else doesn't. Maybe they just didn't look quick enough. Or maybe it has to go back to that paranormal umbrella where everything is interrelated. And, and for some reason, we can only see it sometimes. And maybe that mm-hmm. other person who didn't see it could see it uh, if... if, if the scenario was slightly different. I don't know if that makes sense, but, uh, uh, who knows what's happening, but we're seeing these brief glimpses of things. And, you know, is that a parallel universe, you know, where there's just a, a, a quick bleed over and that's what we're seeing, or are these inter interdimensional beings and, and some people are quote unquote attuned to it or, or not. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, But like you were saying, you know, someone sees it, someone doesn't see it. That does happen super often. So it seems like maybe there's something to it Mm -hmm. along those lines that I was just talking about, you know?
0: Yeah, it it, it is strange. And there are so many questions out there. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the questions uh, that I like asking UFO researchers like yourself is, do you think disclosure is imminent? And do you think that the governments of the world... Are suppressing the information that they may have on
1: the UFO phenomenon. The way I currently think, mm-hmm. because my opinion changes with the wind, hey, mine too. <laughs> um, I I don't think disclosure in the way that ufologists want to see it is ever going to happen. Uh, where the government's coming out and be like, "Hey, y'all were right, it's real," <laughs> you know, like like an Independence Day or something. They're coming, crap, it's real. Um, uh, the the what was the other part of that question? I'm sorry, I got caught up in Independence Day. <laughs> uh, yeah, so did I. I actually no. The the question was. Um, l- let me rephrase
0: the question and sure. let's use this analogy. Seeing what has been happening in Washington with the Kavanaugh nomination. Oh, boy. Okay. Can you yep. ju- can you just imagine the Democrats and the Republicans <laughs> discussing whether or not okay. the disclosure should happen? And I wonder. Yeah. What the FBI would do then, if anybody would <laughs> say, "Well, we need to call in the FBI to see the uh, to do the investigations." Um, why do you think there are those people out there who really believe that the government is suppressing information?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's been proven that the government has suppressed information to our knowledge mm-hmm. since what 1969. Project Blue Book has been closed. They no longer. Are interested in studying UFOs in any way despite still getting calls and things like that and then all of a sudden it's admitted that in from 2007 to 2012 they were in fact still studying UFOs so what happened between 69 and 2007 what happened between 2012 and right now I'm sure there's just something else that's being suppressed right now you know so there's already been an admission of suppression and I'm sure it continues to this day on, on a level that is probably pretty scary do we really need to know what the truth is about UFOs? And and if we do, why? Uh, yes. Not sure why yes, but okay. yes. <laughs> and I think it's important because maybe that helps us. With humanity, you know, to, to, we're not the, the, the center of, of everything. We're, mm-hmm. we're not the dominant species. We're, we're not alone in this world. The universe is huge. I mean, it's so arrogant to think that, that we're alone and, and, and nothing is more advanced than us. You know what I mean? And sure. and, and to me, that's, I don't know. It's kind of sad. Maybe it's a little bit wishful thinking or something. I don't know, but uh, uh, I do. Believe that aliens are real, and uh, I do hope they're coming here. But have they been coming here decade after decade, just to study us and abduct us and probe us? That seems a little off to me. Maybe the first ten years, okay, I can see that. But what, why are they still coming if if that's a thing? You know what I mean? Exactly. You know. Uh, I, but you just brought up a, a
0: wonderful argument for reverse engineering. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Where you know that's where colonoscopies come from. Yeah. <laughs> take me to your podiatrist take me to your proctologist (laughs) i'm not going to touch that damn finger unless you've got gloves on it mister
1: (laughs) um oh god uh,
0: let me ask you this is it possible that when people see a ufo or have a ufo experience they're actually witnessing a, a a time displacement that what we believe are UFOs from extraterrestrial uh, galaxies or faraway galaxies or universes are actually from our future that travel back in time to, for some reason or other, I, I haven't figured that one out yet, but <laughs> is, is it possible time travel is involved?
1: I think so, you know? Um, who knows the way mm-hmm. tra- time travel could work or does work, and and there have been some some uh, uh, maybe not leaps, but mm. little tiny baby steps into to making that a bit more of a reality. But uh, who knows? Or maybe it's a different plane of existence, you know. And there's all these uh, multiple universes, and yeah. and and uh, time is irrelevant at that point, you know. And uh, they're really just able to kind of step in, be like, oh wow, look at this, and then step back, you know. Um, but yeah I think that's totally possible and I have sat up at nights thinking about that possible theory there's actually a story from cheese the 50s I haven't read this story in a long time so I'll probably butcher some of this you got some really smart guys listening I, I apologize right now but in the 50s there was some sort of sighting uh, with this kid and he was uh, you know walking down a dirt road or whatever or was walking home and he sees this UFO And I believe he described it as this, like, silver disc. And it was very low. I mean, we're talking, like, 30 feet, 40, 50 feet in the air something like that. And there was this, like, completely glass dome over it. And he saw, like, a guy, like a human in it you know work in the controls and stuff like that he might have even had uh, i forget the story in full here but he might have even had like a, a usa patch or uh some sort of military patch or something like that but it looked like he was wearing a jumpsuit of some sort and was you know paying the kid no mind and then he finally realized that the kid noticed him and it was like Whoa, right. and you know flew away you know so was that experimental was that time travel he's like oh boy i'm I dicked into the 50s for a second My bad and you know went back to where wherever he came From you know but interesting story And that's not the only one there's Hundreds thousands of them there's the, the Another story about a gentleman who Was flying over a uh, I believe a British uh, military base And when he flew over one time it Looked one way when he flew over another Time uh, everything looked Different they were wearing different colors On the uniforms the, the planes had different Colors and turns out like 10 Years later those are the colors they ended up taking on so there was some sort of rip in time mm-hmm. that he believes happened you know so well there are
0: also a lot of stories uh, throughout the bermuda triangle about rips and mm. times and time travel and uh, time space uh, distortions uh what are your final thoughts for the members of the exo nation tonight listening to you
1: well let's see here um i think i don't know to, i guess to tie it all up all of my research investigations personal experiences all that stuff I actually think it sheds no light on what UFOs and aliens might be. But what sticks out to me is the people Mm -hmm. and how profoundly they seem to be affected by their encounters. And you can see it in their eyes and hear it in their voices. And it's heartbreaking in some cases. And it's fascinating in others. And it affects me sometimes after talking with them. And to be able to document someone's story, to help them not feel like they're crazy, to be just kind, I think is just a good thing, you know? And and I hope that some people you don't have to believe everything just because you're into UFOs and stuff, uh, but to, to have a non judgmental ear I think is very important. It helps people, you know.
0: Once again, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, no Mar, we'll have to have you back on in the future, but let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and where they can get their very own copy of Otherworldly Encounters.
1: Absolutely. Llewellyn Worldwide Publishing has a huge distribution arm. So anywhere you get your books, you can get a copy of my book, Otherworldly Encounters. Uh, You can even order it off of Target and Walmart. One place I do like to promote, I'm not affiliated with them in any way. I just think it's cool. Uh, It's called IndieBound.org. I-N-D-I-E Bound.org. It's a search engine for mom and pop bookstores. You go there, you type in your zip code. You can then, uh, once it loads, you type in a, a, a book. And it shows you which mom and pop stores in your area have it, and if they don't have it, because of Llewellyn and who they are, they can order it from them. So that's pretty cool. Uh, also, I have a podcast of my own. It's called I Want to Believe, and you can hear that anywhere. Uh, you get your podcast, iTunes, all that stuff. I, I hate to do it. this.
0: No, I hate to oh, do this, but we've just run out of time, so No More. I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure. And ExoNation, Nation, uh, for more information on No More Slavic, visit him online at facebookcom forward slash No. Nomar Slovak, author. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada.